Fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe have already had to wait an extra six months to see Scarlett Johansson star in the Black Widow movie, and if the current release date finally holds, they'll be waiting a bit longer. The original Avengers' first solo movie was pushed back once again to May 7th, 2021, thanks to a series of COVID-19-induced delays. It's really not that complicated. I got red in my ledger. I'd like to wipe it out. What's been known for a long time is that the film was intended to be set after the events of Captain America Civil War, but before Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. In addition to Johansson, it stars Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova, another Black Widow who underwent training in the Red Room, Rachel Weisz as Melina Vostokov, an experienced widow, and David Harbour as Alexei Shostakov, a Russian super-soldier known as Red Guardian. Little is known about the film's main villain, the masked and armored Taskmaster. We don't even know the name of the actor playing the role. Despite the production setbacks, the steady drip of new information and collateral materials from the film continues to trickle in. In this case, some new pictures have dropped that show actor O.T. Fagbenle in character as Rick Mason, a character described by Entertainment Weekly as a contact from Natasha Romanoff's past and a potential love interest. The pictures appear to originate from Marvel's Black Widow, the official movie special book, and were posted on Twitter November 1st by Elena Barnes. Underscore sprinkled in among a number of other behind-the-scenes shots of stunts and other big action sequences. In one of these, Mason is chatting with Natasha outside a beat-up-looking airplane somewhere in a grassy field. It certainly appears as though she trusts him at this point in the film. This is notable largely because Mason is one of the prime suspects to be Taskmaster. The comic version of Taskmaster possesses the wonderfully named ability of photographic reflexes, which allows him to duplicate the movements or fighting styles of someone else after watching them. Basically, after some time in the film room, he can teach himself to shoot a bow like Hawkeye, throw a shield like Captain America, or fight like Black Widow. Based on portions of the trailer that seem to show him fighting with both a bow and a shield, it seems fair to say the cinematic counterpoint will operate much the same in practice. If it turns out to be Mason under the mask, it looks like it will come as a surprise to Natasha. What's a spy that hasn't been double-crossed by someone they trusted? This wouldn't be the first case of a trusted colleague betraying a Marvel character. Heck, it wouldn't even be the first betrayal executed on a remote airstrip in the MCU's history. Still, there's a reason Taskmaster's true identity is still up in the air, and that's because because there are more suspects. Whatever link to Natasha Rick Mason ends up having, it likely won't be as close as that of Vostokov, who is described as a mother figure to Romanov and Belova. Vostokov is likely already a skilled combatant, and if she were imbued with Taskmaster's unique abilities, they would make her a formidable threat to Natasha. The MCU has a long and redundant history of family conflict, so there's a pretty good chance we'll see this theme once again. Fittingly enough, Fagbenle has already dropped and deleted a pair of possible hints on social media, one where he included a hashtag TM in a post about his role in the movie and one reference to the conspiracy theory that he's Taskmaster in a video on Instagram Live. The other photos are not much help resolving these mysteries. One shows Mason leaning against the same plane without Natasha in the frame, while another depicts Mason in a different outfit and only confirms his character's love of plaid flannels. Whether that makes him more or less likely to be Black Widow's evil mastermind, you'll have to wait until at least May of 2021 to see. Check out one of our newest videos right here! Plus, even more Looper videos about your favorite Marvel movies are coming soon. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you don't miss a single one. What's
going on guys welcome to everything always my name is michael roman now in the case of the three disney plus marvel shows that have already started filming falcon in the winter soldier loki and wandavision we've had set photos leak out for each and in the case of the falcon in the winter soldier multiple on-set videos of course marvel doing due diligence taking them down where they can not really worrying about it too much unless there's a major spoiler revealed within the photo or footage and that's exactly what happened yesterday surprisingly posted by a disney employee to his instagram a video on the back lot of the sets where they're filming wandavision that apparently revealed a major spoiler and while the photos were scrubbed almost instantly the internet never forgets i myself saw the photos and i'm going to describe them for you here including some content text with what we already know from WandaVision and of course try to speculate as to what this could mean. We'll issue a light spoiler warning when it comes to that as to why Disney would want to have these photos taken down immediately. What was contained within them that's a major leak. We're going to break it all down but first if you could hit the subscribe button we're still giving away this amazing one-fourth scale beta ray bill from XM Studios at 750,000 subscribers as well as our third and final Infinity Saga box set. If you want to be entered to win all you have to do hit the subscribe button then leave a comment down below and if you want stick around to the end of the video we'll get into all the giveaway stuff again there so as I mentioned moments ago in the prologue these were posted to social media by an official Disney employee on the set I believe they're either at Trilith Studios or Pinewood Studios in Atlanta either way doesn't matter on the back of the set the imagery contained within would be major scenes and set spoilers for WandaVision and we're gonna speculate as to what they might mean towards the end of the series so light spoiler warning if you want to go in completely fresh to what's going on during the plot narrative this may not be the video for you otherwise you've been warned let's jump right in now there were first three out of four photos maybe not the biggest of reveals there was one that showed a bunch of the behind the scenes tents and stuff for production there was another that was a selfie with Halloween decorations and we've already seen from the trailer it looks like one of the episodes will be taking place on Halloween while they trick-or-treat unfortunately if you like to think this would have come out originally when it was supposed to they may have even lined up that Halloween episode on Halloween oh what could have been otherwise the third photo which may have been a bigger reveal showed us the Westview Public Library but we've already talked about this a location within WandaVision and it doesn't really tell us much other than confirming its existence those three photos maybe not the biggest of deals except there was a quote on one of them the caption on the photo was WandaVision coming in December to Disney Plus Maybe that's why they made him take it down, as we still don't have that official release yet from Disney. We are all waiting patiently for it. Now, the fourth photo seemed to reveal quite a bit more, as there was an enormous armored military vehicle. It was basically like a sand-colored building, and there was a blue sky in the background, black-colored asphalt, and basically a huge tank pulled up with a bunch of soldiers. You couldn't really tell from any of the emblems who exactly they were. But if you watch the trailer, and what this got me thinking is that there's probably a huge chance that S.W.O.R.D., what we've been talking about is its individual Disney Plus series that'll tie to Captain Marvel and Secret Invasion, the thing that was so heavily teased at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home, is going to be this agency sitting in for S.H.I.E.L.D., which means when there's huge disturbances and or paranormal activity, like much what's going on with this portal that we see in the trailer, they're somehow going to be involved in investigating it. That's literally their job. What I'm thinking here is the same way we see Monica Rambeau forced out of the portal from wherever she was within that reality. They're probably going to go in at some point. That's why I think this would be towards the end of the series, because they have their own agenda already. You see her flying out of the portal there. You see all of what looks like the military. They have helicopters. They have soldiers, the whole base set up. 
At some point, they're going to have to intervene, and that's what I think is going on in this episode. Obviously, military armored vehicles, tie it right to what you see in the trailer, seems like a simple explanation. Outside of that, there are some other ideas that aren't well as well tied or based in evidence for what we already know about the series, but in other series such as the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we've already seen the existence of what may be some paramilitary groups popping up all over the US now that the blip has happened, installments that were in power before, and the shift of power during the snap have to be undone. There's a lot of civil unrest, so to speak, probably even more so than the power vacuum that was created by the snap far less people to deal with it. Now everybody's back. Seemingly, there's going to be a lot of issues. That leads me right to my final thought as it's related to what's going on in WandaVision and the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward. It was pretty easy when there were a limited number of superheroes known and in existence on Earth to be able to sort of keep them insular and not explain why they weren't there for other events. Thor would be off-world, Hulk left, that sort of thing. But once you have an abundance of superheroes and or should I say superhero franchises, that are all locally in the same spot, namely Earth and or the United States, and then you have these sort of disturbances, it gets harder and harder to explain why all the most powerful beings aren't attending to the most powerful issues and or the world-threatening issues. Now, S.W.O.R.D.'s job, literal job description, is to deal with extraterrestrial threats. Even though it's located in space and looking outward to where, you know, Thanos and all the rest of them came from, something like this still qualifies as an extraterrestrial threat. And that's going to go forward for all of the sort of villains that show up in this dimension, or should we say others, as long as it pertains to Earth, S.W.O.R.D. is going to have their nose in there. But then there's the rest of the superheroes on Earth, the teams that are formed, some of them are going to have their own agendas, but eventually you're going to have to start seeing them cross over a lot more than they did back in the day. The existence of these superheroes is going to have to be explained and seeded in a way that makes sense for why they're either going to be there or not when they show up. This is just a much harder job on Marvel's part. And Marvel Studios now trying to figure out these narrative going forward. And that's why Kevin Feige said all the way back in 2019, which is starting to feel like ancient history at this point, that they're working towards two totally separate things and they hope that it can feel distinct enough that way they can break up these superhero groups and hopefully cater the villains and antagonists to the superheroes power set for instance it's going to be really weird to see falcon fighting alongside wandavision unless it's an all-out like avengers endgame basically falcon can't do anything against mephisto the way you think doctor strange or scarlet witch can and the same goes for a ton of the other villains that are say street level so hopefully they're going to do a good job of this and not make it feel too weird why certain superheroes are absent and or present when they finally show up given all the narrative we've already gotten i'm sure you guys understand but either way guys let me know what you think down below specifically whose tank is this is it sword is it somewhere else paramilitary and what could they be after inside this rift and or other dimension other than just trying to get to wandavision is there a reason there would be involvement there and how much do you think this alternate reality is going to have an effect on the main continuity in the marvel cinematic universe let me know all your thoughts down below and quickly let's get into the giveaway stuff again before i let you go okay we're still giving away this one fourth scale xm studios beta ray bill that'll be at 750,000 subscribers which we should easily hit by year's end all you have to do to be entered to win Win, hit the subscribe button then leave a comment down below that'll automatically enter you to win our third and final infinity saga box set which we'll be giving away in december probably on new year's eve regardless of the subscriber count if you want to be entered to win either prizes or any of the future prizes here at the channel all the same rules will always apply hit the subscribe button to make sure you're a subscriber here at the channel then leave a comment on the video because it's truly random the more videos you comment on the better chance you have of winning then make sure to hit the notification bell with notifications turned on to keep up with the content and as always 
hit the like button. If you guys want to follow me one step further, you can find me on Instagram at IamFires or over on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Novellen, N-V-E-L-L-E-N. There's links down in the description to both. Guys, thanks for checking out the channel. My name's Michael Roman. Stick around. We'll be posting again real, real soon. going on guys welcome to everything always my name is michael roman now over a year ago we learned and confirmed that the working title for spider-man 3 was serenity now a famous catchphrase from the seinfeld sitcom in the early 90s but no real title reveal until about a month ago when we got from good word and from sources inside the industry that the title for spider-man 3 would be homeworlds lining up perfectly with everything we've heard about the spider-verse but now there's a new reveal in a different place somewhere you think it wouldn't be listed and it's not actually Homeworlds. We're going to point to the evidence that the title is something different, go over where and what is listed, what it would mean for the entirety of Spider-Man 3's narrative, and of course, what we think is going on with the title. We're going to break it all down, but first, if you could grab the subscribe button, we're still giving away this insane one-fourth scale XM Studios Beta Ray Bill and our third and final Infinity Saga box set. If you want to be entered to win, all you have to do, hit the subscribe button, then leave a comment down below, and if you want, stick around to the end of the video. We'll We'll get into all the giveaway stuff again there. So as I mentioned, Serenity now the working title for Spider-Man 3, and it was also revealed real recently as there would be multiple shooting locations, there was actually multiple working production names, and it is not unusual for a movie or film to have a working title that is completely different from the actual title of the film. We all know that the trilogy will in some way include Home, and it was just about a month ago as I mentioned in the prologue, industry insiders kept bringing up Homeworlds as the actual title. Well, someone will browse some production weeklies on a website actually found Spider-Man 3 officially listed as homesick which it's awkward that the real title would make it onto a production website but not completely unheard of in fact that same thing happened with Avengers Endgame way before Avengers 4's title should have been revealed and in this case it may be the same thing someone knew the actual name and by accident instead of uploading the working title uploaded that title homesick now we do know from the narrative and what happened at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home that Tom Holland will of course be on the run and from the original production list we know one of the shooting locations to be isolated land a rather snowy and completely wooded countryside so there's a good chance he could be on the run and not able to go home and that would fall right into the title of homesick until he's able to clear his name and figure this all out he can't go home and put those he loves including mj and aunt may in any sort of danger this all seems to make sense guys let me know what you think homeworlds or homesick or if you have a better idea there's a good chance we're going to get the title reveal real soon as if you remember sony told us we'd be getting that first official look slash teaser trailer sometime in december we won't have to wait till longer than that guys let me know all your thoughts down below and quickly let's get into the giveaway stuff before i let you go we're still giving away this insane one-fourth scale beta ray bill at 750,000 subscribers as well as our third and final infinity saga box set we already gave away two earlier this year we're going to give this one away in december on new year's eve regardless of the subscriber count if you want to be entered to win all you have to do hit the subscribe button then leave a comment down below because it's truly random the more videos you comment on the better chance you have of winning then hit the notification bell with notifications turned on to keep up with the content and of course as always if you enjoyed today's video or the channel hit the like button. My name is Michael Roman. This is everything always. You guys can follow me one step further on Instagram at IamFires or over on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Novellen, N-V-E-L-L-E-N. There's links down in the description to both. Thanks for checking out the channel. My name is Michael Roman. This is everything always. Stick around, guys. We'll be posting again real, real soon.
Hi everybody, I hope you're having a great day. In this video I'm going to be covering Sidorak, who happens to be the members pick of the month. Now he was mentioned for the very first time in Strange Tales, issue number 124, that was released in September of 1964. But his image or likeness was first displayed in Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, Volume 1, issue number 44, that was released in August of 1992. He's also gone by other titles, such as Sidorak the Destroyer and Ruler of the Crimson Cosmos. And he has variable height and weight, although he has been portrayed in basically two different forms, one of them being a human-looking godlike form and the other being a red-toned demonic-type form. Now, to dive right into it, Sidorak is ridiculously powerful. And don't get at me for this, but he is arguably the most powerful magical being in all of the Marvel multiverse. I personally feel that if Sidorak really wanted to go all out and not be stopped, it would take something like the Living Tribunal or even the One Above All to really truly stop him. The only reason I didn't mention the One Below All is the fact that Mephisto actually pointed out at one time that he thought Sidorak was the closest candidate to being the One True Satan, if that helps put it in perspective for you. I won't even go through the motions of going over his strength, durability, speed, etc. Of course, all his typical stats are completely off the charts. And it's noted that while he's in his Crimson Cosmos, which is his own dimension, he's virtually omnipotent. Now, Sidorak is mostly known for giving a very small fraction of his power to the unstoppable Juggernaut, who himself is one of the strongest mortal beings in the Marvel Universe, being comparable in strength to heavy hitters like the Hulk. But what may be lesser known to some people is that he's also the source of energy for some very powerful spells cast by big-name sorcerers in the Marvel Universe. Individuals like Doctor Strange, the Ancient One, Dormammu, Zom, Umar the Unrelenting, and even Scarlet Witch draw upon the Crimson Cosmos or Sidorak himself. Some of these mentioned spells include the Crimson Bands of Sidorak, the Scarlet Sphere of Sidorak, the Crimson Shields of Sidorak, the Crimson Crystals of Sidorak, and the Cage of Sidorak, among many others. A short list of some of the cosmic entities that wouldn't be able to handle all of his power include beings like Despair, Nightmare, Eternity, Galactus, and Mephisto. Even the powerful Vashanti are leery of angering him, and it's been noted that the Phoenix Force empowered magic, as well as Colossus imbued with one-fifth of the Phoenix Force, wasn't even enough for Sidorak to sniff at. He banishing them out of his presence with a mere wave of his hand. Now, just to drive it home a little bit more, Oblivion himself was unable to completely overcome the Juggernaut's durability, being unable to kill or erase him due to the fraction of the Juggernaut's power that he receives from Sidorak. And mind you, this is within Oblivion's own realm. So Sidorak has a very mysterious origin, but we do know that he was one of the principalities, which were magical entities of almost endless magical power. We also know that, as demons do, he once accepted worship on Earth. But one day, for unknown reasons, he was banished to an outer dimension known as the Crimson Cosmos, which he was completely sovereign over. Now, around a millennia ago, Sidorak took part in the Atessence, which was a bet between himself and eight other very powerful principality beings, including Watum, Valtor, Balthak, Ferala, Ikan, Krakan, and Ragador. They wanted to see who was the most powerful of them, and so they came up with a plan to give a small fraction of their power to eight different human avatars, and these beings were supposed to fight in honor of their benefactor. 
To transfer their power to the people, they each put an item in a temple that was set up for people to find. Once a being touched these magical artifacts, they would be transformed into what's called an exemplar, which was just a fancy title for their avatar. Kane Marco would become the first exemplar after touching the Crimson Gem in a temple in Korea to become the unstoppable juggernaut. It would also be noted that after everything was said and done, Sidorak's avatar would prove to be the true winner of the wager. After this point, Sidorak would go on to play a major role in many different Marvel storylines, not only being a key player in Juggernaut's life, but also doing little things like trying to recruit Doctor Strange. His displeasure with Kane Marco Juggernaut would also reach ahead during the Fear Itself storyline, taking his power back from Kane after discovering that he had forsaken him for the power of Kurth. Kane becoming one of the serpents worthy as the Breaker of Stone. During this brief period is when Sidorak would temporarily give his power to Colossus. Sidorak was actually very impressed with the display of power and destruction that his new avatar reaped. Matter of fact, he actually did not want to release Colossus from this binding, despite Colossus and his sister Magic asking him to free him. But after the siblings would pull off several tactics and jump through some literal dimensional hoops, Colossus would be freed from this power, which would lead to Sidorak sending his Crimson Gem back to a temple in Thailand on Earth. This artifact would magically draw various people to it, but the first one to claim this prize would be the Living Monolith who would briefly become the huge new juggernaut. But ultimately, this immense crimson power would land back in the hands of Kane Marco, who would once again become the juggernaut and possess even more power than he had before. Now, for his powers and abilities, and his influence on the Marvel Universe, for my 1 to 10 rating, I'll give Sidorak a rating of 10, which is a legendary rating. I hope everyone enjoyed this video. I'll talk to you next time. Be sure to like, subscribe, and join the new Sage. You didn't see that coming? Welcome back, everyone. It's Charlie. This is going to be my new Avengers WandaVision video. We got a big announcement about Quicksilver. I know a lot of people wondering if he's going to show up in the series, so we'll break it all down. There were even a couple more promos that they released in Latin America that I'll play during the video, just hyping it up before the end of the year. If you're new to the channel, I'll be doing videos for all those episodes when they release, so be sure to subscribe to get those. We'll do a giveaway for Disney Plus memberships. All you have to do to enter is be a subscriber and let me know what kind of X-Men Easter eggs you want to see show up in the episodes. I'll just number these as we go along to stay organized, but starting with the big stuff, recently a reporter at Emerald City Comic Con spotted listings for WandaVision toys that included Quicksilver. He reportedly spotted a two-pack for Vision and Quicksilver pops. Prototypes for some of the Marvel Disney Plus toys have also been leaking out for some of the other series like Falcon and Winter Soldier. So if you didn't know, Marvel will be selling toys based on the Disney Plus series. Obviously, that's a big part of the Avengers movies, all the MCU movies. Selling toys makes way more money than releasing the actual movies. Interesting there's no um, Thor toy in here. It's not really a big deal for them to sell Quicksilver toys, but this is an Aaron Taylor Johnson looking Quicksilver toy. It's new and it's branded as a WandaVision toy as if he's showing up on the series. So Quicksilver himself being part of their toy marketing does line up with some earlier casting leaks from this past year when some videos of auditions for two of their twin boys playing Wiccan and Speed were spotted that reference Quicksilver. 
The videos got taken down pretty quickly, as you would assume, but they were for two younger adolescent boys. One of them was talking to the other in the scene that had leaked out. They were worried about waking their uncle up, who was sleeping in the next room on the living room couch. And because we knew that they were doing Scarlet Witch Envision's twin children from the comics, as you see during the trailer, Wiccan and Speed, big X-Men characters, the uncle they reference had to be Quicksilver, because Vision doesn't have any family and Quicksilver is Scarlet Witch's only brother. There weren't any big reports of Aaron Taylor Johnson being spotted on the outdoor sets of WandaVision when they were filming, so they could be getting really trippy with the way they reference him on the show. If you remember a couple of years ago, there were even reports of Aaron Taylor Johnson being spotted on the set of Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War, so people thought that he might appear at some point during that big crowd shot of Avengers Endgame. Presumably when the Hulk snapped everyone back, maybe the Russos thought about including him in the big crowd shot. Like they talked about including Nova in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. There were probably a bunch of other characters like Quicksilver that they talked about bringing back. But if you think about it on WandaVision, it totally makes sense because he died, Vision died, the whole reason she's creating this TV-based alternate reality bubble dimension is to live out a version of her life where Vision is alive and they can have the family that she always wanted to have but never could. And in that perfect reality, her brother would also probably still be alive. I know a lot of people are wondering if she's going to try and bring Vision back to the main MCU reality, like save him, because this is clearly a fake version of Vision. But I think a big part of them doing WandaVision the series is that it's told from her perspective like it's Wanda's Vision, but it's also WandaVision as in the TV show theme that they're going with. So I think it's all about her catharsis and her getting some closure over Vision's death. So I think it's pretty even odds as to whether or not they bring Vision back to life in the main MCU reality. Because he is an android, technically Shuri was supposed to be able to revive him. Like you fix a machine, you should be able to bring him back. It was just a question of what he was going to be like without the Mind Stone. If you're a longtime Marvel comic book fan for some of the old stuff, you might also see some of the white Vision comic book references they're making with this black and white stuff. The joke there is that the white version of Vision that they brought back was after he had been destroyed, but they brought him back without the mental patterns of Wonder Man, so he basically had no personality. He was this cold, unfeeling robot. So even though they're referencing a lot of these classic TV series from the black and white era of television, they're also kind of referencing the version of Vision from the comics that came back looking all white and had zero personality. During the scene where the kids were auditioning, talking about Quicksilver, it didn't reference what decade it was in, but if you look at it here, this looks like the 80s decade of television sitcoms, so they wouldn't be adolescents till the Roseanne 90s era, which is this scene right here, where she's got her hands on her hips like she's really upset with them, they just did something really bad. The really interesting thing though about this is that if you look at the scene from the trailer where you see her in black and white on the old TV set inside a black and white room, like we're standing in a black and white room watching her in a black and white television show. She answers the phone, Vision Residence, while we're watching her on TV, but then a full color version of her looks like she gets sucked into the alternate reality TV dimension in her street clothes, modern day street clothes, and sees Vision greeting her saying, Wanda. And it looks like her jaw is about to hit the floor, like she can't believe what's happening. We know that Agatha Harkness is a big character on the series because of the subtitles from the Marvel version of the trailer. Thank you very much, person that did the subtitles. Agatha Harkness is also a powerful magic user or a sorceress like Doctor Strange. She could be manipulating Scarlet Witch into using her powers to create this fake reality. Agatha Harkness has been both a mentor and a villain to Scarlet Witch in the comics, so it seems like based on the trailer footage, she's playing both her and Vision, just totally messing with them in a kind of sadistic way, like telling Vision that he's supposed to be dead. 
Since a lot of their Halloween costumes are meant to be big comic book references, she's dressed like a witch, I think that's just her dressing like comic book Agatha Harkness. And if you think about the earlier scene where things start to glitch out, it's almost as if Vision comes back to life without his memories of Avengers Infinity War and being killed by Thanos, but he starts to remember maybe and that's when things start to glitch out. Then you start to get the bigger House of M easter eggs from the comics where she also created an alternate reality which then starts to crumble around her where she does her No More Mutants line. It kind of seems like a version of that is playing out in these scenes here with the reality sort of cracking and crumbling around her. So even if Quicksilver is coming back, that doesn't necessarily confirm that Aaron Taylor Johnson is coming back or that they'll bring him back into the main MCU reality. Remember, this is a version of reality where she can make anything she wants reality. So they could be featuring him as just part of the story or reference him as if he's still alive and visiting them during one of the decades of sitcoms they're living through and that winds up being it. They didn't really say how fast they're blowing through each of those decades either. Originally the series is only supposed to be six episodes and there were rumors they could be doing more than six. But Paul Bettany said that the way they paced it out is that the first half of the episodes were going to be doing the weird sitcom reality stuff and by the second half of the series the show turns into a big Avengers level movie with tons of action scenes. Like things go Avengers level crazy which is probably where they start to get into all the Nick Fury sword stuff in Doctor Strange 2 movie crossover. The early theory there is that eventually Scarlet Witch is going to try and save fake Vision and her fake children just like in the comics and bring them to the main MCU dimension while also having a full blown wizard battle with Agatha Harkness and any other potential villain that Agatha Harkness might be working with. The same way that Kaecilius was the villain of the Doctor Strange movie but really he was just a puppet for Dormammu. I don't think that Agatha Harkness is working for Dormammu necessarily, I think they'll try to introduce some other new MCU villain. The reports from a couple years ago were that Nightmare was going to be the main villain of Doctor Strange 2 but since Sam Raimi became the director they could have changed that. There are a couple really big supernatural villains that Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch share. Mephisto is probably the other biggest one that they haven't quite done in the MCU yet even though they did reference him during the original Avengers movie. His big connection to her is through her children. The promos that they released recently were just for Latin America so they just have like a quick voiceover of her saying welcome Latin America we invite you to watch WandaVision on Disney Plus. So it's not a really big trailer or anything like that. They also did the same thing for Falcon and Winter Soldier like hey Latin America please watch our shows on Disney Plus when it launches in your country. But Kat Dennings who plays the Darcy character in the Thor movies is also going to be a character on the WandaVision series. She did an interview recently just confirming that Marvel is trying to get the series out by the end of the year. Further supporting the theory that it's going to be released in December and not earlier as some rumors were claiming. The actors themselves genuinely have no idea when the episodes will start but that's only because Marvel is still racing to finish special effects and post production and they don't know when they're going to be finished with that. That was the big holdup earlier this year it was the same problem with Falcon and Winter Soldier like they had some big action scenes and crowd scenes that they had to film those need a bunch of special effects so because they had to delay filming those for several months and now they're working on the post production for those it's just a matter of them racing to complete the rest of that footage. But there will be at least one more WandaVision trailer maybe around Thanksgiving with some different footage and then maybe a Falcon and Winter Soldier trailer sometime in December. That really just depends on when Marvel wants to release that series. I know there's all kinds of theories about Falcon and Winter Soldier spoiling some of the things that happened in the Black Widow post credit scene. Most people believing that there's some Thunderbolt stuff happening during the Black Widow movie. But if they release any other big details or we learn anything about those series of course I'll do a new video. My next big video is going to be for The Mandalorian Season 2 Episode 2 that'll be up Friday just like normal. As long as you have alerts enabled for my channel you should see that when I post it. 
While you wait for everything, click here for my full Mandalorian Season 2 Episode 1 video and click here for my Avengers WandaVision trailer video and X-Men Easter eggs. Thank you so much for watching. Everyone stay safe. I'll see you guys tonight. A lot of Captain America's MCU storyline was taken straight from the comics. But that doesn't mean all of his comic stories ended up in the MCU. For better or worse, these are some of the most notable details and stories that the Marvel Movie Universe left behind. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Avengers are Cap's one and only super team. He does hang out with the Howling Commandos in World War II, but that's more just a nickname for a military unit than anything else. In the comics, however, Steve actually joins a super-powered group during the war. Deep in the midst of the fight against Nazi Germany, Cap forms a team with the Submariner and the original Human Torch to save British Prime Minister Winston Churchill from the Nazi villain Masterman. When they decide to stay together, Churchill suggests the name The Invaders. The group that eventually would be called The Invaders were actually first introduced as a team in a time-traveling issue of The Avengers in which Earth's mightiest heroes' surprise opponents are revealed to be the greatest superheroes of World War II. Over time, the team adds Bucky and Torch's flame-powered Ward Toro. The mongoose-blood-powered speedster the Wizard and his wife Miss America also become full members. The team also includes British heroes like Union Jack and his sister Spitfire, who gets her powers when the Human Torch gives her a blood transfusion. There are a couple of dozen more active superheroes during World War II, too. So if Marvel ever decides to do another movie set during the war, they'd have no shortage of characters to choose from. Or team names. As the original version of the Invaders was called the All Winners Squad. On second thought, Invaders works just fine. After the events of Captain America Civil War, Cap gives up his uniform and goes underground. In the comics, however, Steve Rogers has quit being Captain America several times. The first and most famous instance comes when Cap goes up against an evil organization called the Secret Empire that had been using a disinformation campaign to discredit him. Using the particularly imaginative alias of Roger Stevens, Cap goes undercover in an effort to track down their leader, and the trail soon leads to Washington. The leader of the Secret Empire number 1 then emerges from a flying saucer before being defeated by Cap. To Cap's surprise, number 1 runs into the White House. While he isn't mentioned by name in the comic, writer Steve Englehart later confirmed that number one was, in fact, President Richard Nixon. Nixon then kills himself before Cap can apprehend him, and a disillusioned Cap retires, to the delight of girlfriend Sharon Carter and pretty much no one else. In an effort to get Cap to remember how much he liked being a superhero, Hawkeye shows up with a disguise and a weird, fake accent. When Steve tells him he won't be Captain America anymore, Hawkeye gives him some advice adopt a new identity instead. So Cap puts his design skills to good use and reinvents himself as Nomad, the man without a country. Before long, however, Steve becomes Cap again when the Red Skull returns to wreak havoc. After that, things pretty much go back to normal. In the MCU, Cap has been lucky enough to be spared the indignity of a common rite of passage for long-running superheroes, losing his powers. In the comics, however, Cap has had no such luck. In Captain America number 355, Cap gets a phone call from his ex-girlfriend, Bernie Rosenthal, telling him that her younger sister had gone missing. He then realizes that members of his nationwide teen informant network had befallen the same fate. Trying to find a way to go undercover, Cap asks the eternal known as Cersei 
to turn him into a 15-year-old version of himself. But when he is de-aged, he loses the effects of the super soldier serum infusion that made him Captain America in the first place. Cap is usually one to have a pretty good plan in place for stuff like this. This was not one of those occasions. Powerless and shieldless, he wanders over to Port Authority and basically blunders his way into reaching his goal. A camp for kids that is actually a nihilistic death cult. Around the same time, he ends up being attacked by his old enemies, Scarbo and Mother Knight. And the transformation trigger turns out to be the 50th time Cap gets punched. Then, when it seems like he's about to be beaten to a pulp, he turns back into his normal self, defeats the villains, and tells the kids at the camp to stay in school and obey their parents. That's Captain America, all right. How many more of these? Being a kid isn't the only indignity Cap has suffered in the comics. Like any good superhero, he has also occasionally been turned into a full-blown monster. Joining an all-star wolf lineup, Captain America is transformed into a werewolf by Nightshade, who is building a werewolf army for a man named Dreadmond which includes other wolf-based superheroes such as Wolf's Bane, Feral, and Man-Wolf. To this end, Cap is captured and injected with Werewolf Serum. But it turns out, the Super Soldier Serum allows him to retain control of his wolf form. This enables him to not only beat up a whole lot of bad guys, but also use his natural leadership skills to help convince the werewolves to fight with him and become Cap's own wolf pack. After that, a bunch of nonsense happens, including Dreadman becoming the Star Wolf and Cable showing up for some reason, but things get turned around when Man-Wolf injects Nightshade with her own serum. This motivates her to develop an antidote, putting an end to Cap's lycanthropic adventures. But that's not the end of Steve Rogers' many magical mutations. Years later, Cap is kidnapped by the Jackal during the Spider Island storyline and is transformed into the monstrous Spider King. A slave of the Spider Queen, the Spider King is implanted with thousands of eggs. When these eggs hatch, the resulting spiders are then supposed to infect anyone they bite and turn them into a spider mutate under the Spider Queen's control. Cap is eventually defeated by Venom, who takes him to a facility for a cure. After this, Steve helps lead the resistance against the arachnid menace and brings them down once and for all. Evacuate the city. Engage all defenses. Get this man a shield. Everyone knows Captain America is basically half shield, half man, and the Marvel movies have even seen him use a few variants on the classic design. But in the comics, he once ended up with a very different shield than any seen in the MCU. During one of his many battles against evil, Cap's seemingly indestructible shield is affected by a vibranium virus and torn to pieces. He uses his original triangular shield for a while, but that also ends up being destroyed. So, naturally, Sharon Carter ends up giving him an energy shield to use. While nothing could ever replace the strong, light, and highly balanced shield that was practically an extension of his own body, the energy shield nonetheless comes in pretty handy, and Cap uses it on a number of his adventures. Years later, after Steve Rogers hands over the Captain America mantle to Bucky Barnes, he uses a different energy shield for his adventures. This one is comprised of zero-point energy, which allows him to throw it, strike his enemies, and then dissipate it into the air. A new one is then automatically generated. Obviously, nothing can really replace the original, but still, pretty cool, right? The aftermath of the 9-11 attacks was a grim and confusing time for the United States, and the same was true for Captain America. 
In the MCU, however, Cap didn't get revived until long after that tragedy took place. Rebooting as part of the Marvel Knights brand, the first issue of a newly relaunched Captain America series finds Cap sifting through the wreckage of 9-11. Nick Fury had tasked him to track down the culprits, but Cap prefers to stay as part of the rescue operations. That changes, however, when terrorists take the American town of Centerville hostage. Cap infiltrates the town and attacks the mastermind of the crisis, a terrorist named Al-Tariq. To his credit, the story does try to keep things as balanced as possible. For example, Cap saves an Arab-American youth earlier in the issue from a gang that was threatening to kill him as a misguided attempt at revenge for 9-11. Similarly, the children that Al-Tariq has strapped bombs to are all victims of unexploded landmines. When they realize they're being used, they help Cap defuse the bombs attached to the citizens of Centerville, who are trapped together in a church. Eventually, Cap grows suspicious when he sees that Al-Tariq is wearing a piece of technology called a cat tag that is normally used to monitor vital signs. Fury is characteristically shifty when confronted about this, and Cap soon learns that a villain who was affected by the Cold War was planning to kill every American who was wearing one. Inevitably, Captain America defeats this new bad guy and saves the day. In the MCU, Cap and his archenemy the Red Skull fight just a couple of times in World War II. In the comics, however, the Red Skull clashes with Captain America on many occasions until they engage in a final showdown near the end of the war. Cap barely escapes the resulting explosion, but the Red Skull is trapped in a building and exposed to gases that put him in a state of suspended animation. After the Skull is revived from suspended animation, he proves to be a lethal nuisance for years. He swipes the Cosmic Cube, aka the Tesseract, and almost destroys Cap with it. He teams up with Adolf Hitler in his hate-monger guise, then later traps him in the cube. He also activates sleeper robots to hunt down Cap, because at that point, why not? Later, the Red Skull becomes a head of a commission that forces Cap to give up his identity and begins funding both anarchist and fascist organizations. Along the way, he gets his head handed to him by both Magneto and Kingpin on two separate occasions, becomes Secretary of Defense, and eventually has Cap assassinated after the events of Civil War. In a last-ditch attempt to take over his body, spoiler alert, it doesn't work. In the MCU, Steve Rogers is the one and only American to have received the genuine Super Soldier Serum. In the comics, however, there have been many men who have been given a variation of the serum, as the government tried desperately to develop an army of super soldiers. One of these men is Isaiah Bradley, who was drafted into World War II shortly after getting married and quickly conscripted into an experiment along with 300 other black men in an effort to recreate the serum. After undergoing a series of gruesome and highly unethical experiments, the survivors become covert soldiers used on dangerous black ops missions. Bradley is later sent on a suicide mission to kill a Nazi scientist trying to develop a super-soldier formula of his own. Bradley is successful in this mission, but is ultimately captured by the Nazis. Eventually, he escapes, thanks to the efforts of some local resistance heroes, but he is then immediately court-martialed and imprisoned upon his return to the U.S. because he had stolen a Captain America outfit and shield. Bradley then ends up in prison for nearly two decades, and his mind starts to decay thanks to the faulty nature of his super serum. Over the years, Bradley quietly receives visitors who arrive to pay their respects to the black Captain America. His son Josiah and his grandson Eli both spent time as heroes, with Eli forming the Young Avengers. And finally, once he learns of Bradley's existence, Steve Rogers himself stops by his home to pay his respects to this long-forgotten hero.
Check out one of our newest videos right here! Plus, even more Looper videos about your favorite movies are coming soon. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you don't miss a single one!